Good morning. Uh, this morning, uh, we're going to be continuing in our series in Philippians. Uh, my name is Jeremiah Puckett. If you don't know, I'm the youth ministry director here, um, and I have the privilege of preaching the good news of Jesus Christ this morning. Um, so again, we're going to be continuing in Philippians, starting chapter 4 this morning, and just looking at the first three verses. Um, so to begin, uh, let me just read those verses, Philippians 4, verses 1 through 3. Paul writes, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Let's pray as we prepare to look at God's word. God, I thank you for our chance to gather here this morning to be together in community, um, and to be here uh, without fear of um, persecution or oppression and uh, so many of the worries that the Philippian church may have had and uh, that Paul would have to consider doing ministry. Uh, thank you that we are uh, free from those things. I pray that you would be preparing us to hear your word this morning, um, be softening our hearts, help it to be our hearts to be good soil so that when the seed of the word comes in, it will um, take root and grow and produce good fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so we'll be going through these first three verses, and uh, let's just hop right in at the beginning with verse 1. Uh, verse 1 says, Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So he, he begins with therefore, because this sentence is kind of um, the, the hinge between what Paul has been talking about and what he is about to talk about. Uh, most immediately, Paul has been talking about um, uh, oppression and um, enemies of the cross of Christ. Um, he's been talking about our citizenship that we have in heaven, the assurance that Christ will return, uh, the resurrection that Christ will bring to us, and how we can hope in that resurrection despite that opposition that might come. Paul also spoke in chapter 3 uh, of the fact of his own personal accomplishments and how he counts those things as rubbish compared to what he has gained in Christ. And so he's going to be building off of those types of ideas as we go into chapter 4. So he says, therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for. This is a bit of a side point, but as I read this verse, um, I was thinking about the way, how affectionately Paul would refer to people he would write to, how he refers to the Philippians and other Christian friends he writes to. Um, and I was thinking about this. Some of you might know I've been working with a few others to memorize the book of Philippians uh, since the beginning of this year. And somebody told me I should try to work that into my sermon, so I'm going to try to fit that in right here. Um, but because I've been working on memorizing it, you know, almost every day I'm going through uh, what I've memorized so far. And so I am reciting the, the first main chapter of the book, or sorry, the first main paragraph from chapter one to myself almost every day. 
Um, and in that paragraph, Paul says so many, in so many ways, like the affection that he has for the Philippians. Um, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy uh, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more uh, with knowledge and all discernment uh, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And so Paul says things like, Every time I think about you, I pray for you, and I give thanks to God for you. And um, every time I pray for you, my heart is filled with joy. Um, he says, I, I yearn for you with the affection of Jesus Christ. That is a lot of affection. And that's the way that Paul is, is talking to uh, his Christian friends that he cares about. And I was thinking about this and thinking, I don't talk like that to any of you. <laughs> and it might be weird if I did. But maybe that's just a sign that, you know, we don't do that kind of thing often enough. I think that we should be telling each other regularly that we love each other, that we are uh, encouraged by one another, that we're excited to see each other, that we're praying regularly for the growth of one another. Uh, we should be telling each other these things. We often talk about the importance of loving one another with our actions, but loving each other with our words is just as important. And I think that's uh, one area that a lot of us probably have room to grow in and uh, follow Paul's example in. But he talks to his friends, the Philippians, and he says, whom I love and long for, and he calls them my joy and crown. Uh, the Philippians were Paul's good friends, his uh, partners in ministry, partakers with him in grace. He likely led many of the people he's writing to, to the Lord himself, and he's seen them grow in their faith to the point of uh, doing ministry alongside of Paul. And it brought Paul joy to see how God had worked in their lives. And in a way, these Philippians represented Paul's faithful uh, and fruitful work of ministry. And that's why he refers to them as his crown. Uh, this is, these people are a symbol of what I have done and how God has used me. And I think this is one of the best feelings you can have as a Christian and as a disciple maker to uh, look at someone and, and feel this way about them. And I think I often feel these sorts of things towards um, our like students in the youth group. Um, like for students who, seeing students who have graduated within the last year or two or more and are still walking as Jesus walked brings me a lot of joy. Or seeing current students who are serving each other and discipling their peers. That brings me so much joy. Um, that's what the ministry is about. And so it's cause for rejoicing to see those things. And I feel like I can say, like Paul said, that, you know, the youth kids are my joy. 
I don't know if I can say yet that any youth kids are my crown. I think their positive spiritual states probably have more to do with what Pastor Jaron did before me and what their parents are doing now. Um, but, you know, I hope to one day be able to say that. That's a good goal for us to have, to um, be able to one day look at someone and say, you are my joy and my crown. And some of you may experience those sorts of feelings with someone that you've discipled or uh, your child that you've raised, um, and it's good to feel that way. These people are reminders of God's goodness and grace, not just to others, but also to us, and just allowing us to be conduits of the gospel into the lives of others. Paul calls the Philippians my joy and crown, and then he says, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Uh, He says, stand firm in the Lord. And here he's continuing off of his therefore at the beginning, uh, because it's necessary to stand firm because of the things he talked about before this, because of false teachers, uh, oppression from enemies of the cross of Christ, persecution like what Paul is experiencing in prison uh, because of the temptation to put confidence in our flesh rather than in Christ, and, and more things. All these things can shake us and our faith, and we have the ability to stay stable because of what Paul has talked about so far in the letter, including our heavenly citizenship and identity, the promised return of Christ, the coming resurrection, the lordship of Christ, righteousness that comes through faith, and Christ's humility and love and service and sacrifice for us. For all these reasons, we are able to stand firm in the Lord. I think one way to uh, sort of think about what Paul's talking about here is that he's sort of describing the supremacy of God's actions over man's actions. So whether that's our own condemnable sinful actions, what God has done is supreme and sovereign over that, or if that's the actions of enemies of the cross that are uh, coming against us, God's actions are supreme over that. God is greater than those things. So after talking about those things, Paul's now transitioning into very practical application of what it looks like to live in light of the things he's written about. Uh, Layman Strauss said about this verse, the therefore forges a link between God's power and man's problems. And I hope we'll see that as we continue. So let's look at verse 2. He says, I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Uh, so Paul is giving instruction to these two women, Iodia and Syntyche. And this is the only place in Scripture where these two women are mentioned. So we know very little about them, obviously, only what Paul mentions in these verses. Uh, one thing that is clear, though, is that he's, he's correcting or admonishing them, and he's uh, addressing them both. And so this disagreement that he's having, he's calling them to uh, resolve that conflict and He's saying that they're both equally responsible in that. The blame isn't more on one lady than the other. They, they both need to work at this to agree in the Lord. Uh, that's what he tells them to do. He tells them to agree in the Lord. 
The Greek phrase that Paul uses here for uh, to agree, it's one that he's used before in this letter, back in chapter 2. Uh, when in chapter 2, verse 2, Paul wrote, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Uh, that phrase, the same mind, that's the same one that we see here in this verse, to agree. And this theme of unity and oneness is one that uh, we see all throughout the book. And here are a few examples. In chapter 1, verse 27, Paul said to stand firm in one spirit with one mind. In chapter 2, verse 2, he said, uh, being of the same mind, that's that phrase that we have here in chapter 4, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And then related to uh, this instruction he's giving in in chapter 2, verse 14, he said, do all things without grumbling or disputing. So the instruction that Paul is giving to these two women is a direct and practical application of everything that he's uh, talked about so far in the letter. And so it isn't just that this issue existed in the church, and so while he was writing this letter to them, he wanted to address it. Uh, really, this, this thing he's saying, it's uh, kind of a vivid illustration of the themes he's been talking about. Because it's so important for the Philippians and for us to not just think about these themes of unity and oneness theoretically, but to let them impact our lives, the way that we live and interact with one another. And so again, this this command to agree in the Lord is is very related to what has come earlier. So I want to read a few verses from chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 2 through 5 from chapter 2 of Philippians. Paul said, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus." And I I love how this author put it talking about these verses. Uh, He said, followers of Jesus should think like or have the same mind as Christ, which involves putting others above ourselves. If we are all thinking like him, then we will also be thinking like one another or being like-minded like Philippians 2 talks about. Particular situations where like-mindedness is not occurring is evidence that parties have not adopted the mind of Christ. And so I love how that uh, quote kind of bridges the gap between the themes of chapter 2 and then this instruction in chapter 4. One of the reasons we're supposed to have the mind of Christ, not just individually, but together, is because if we all are having the mind of Christ, we will all be having the same mind. And so we'll be in unity with one another. Uh, One thing that I think is uh, good to note about this is that Uh, Just the fact that Paul encourages them to come to an agreement, this shows that whatever uh, the two women were arguing about wasn't some primary doctrinal issue. It was something that um, didn't need to, they didn't need to come to the same, like, objectively correct conclusion. They just needed to agree in the Lord. So it wasn't as if like one of the women was beginning to follow the teachings of the, the false teachers or anything like that. This is some like secondary issue that they're disagreeing about. 
So it may have been something uh, theological that they disagreed about or ecclesiological, like how to do church, or it might have been something completely unrelated to church, but it was still bringing tension into the church that wasn't healthy. Um, So whatever the case was, whether they were disagreeing about how to baptize somebody or what their favorite football team was or whatever, Paul didn't, his, what he wanted them was just not to come to the same conclusion. He didn't care what conclusion they came to. He wanted them to agree in the Lord. He just wanted the disagreement to stop so that that tension would be removed from the church. And so the problem doesn't seem to have been one of right and wrong as much as it was one of pride and humility. Um, A thought that I have had related to forgiveness and pride is this. When a time comes that I should forgive someone, the size of their transgression is not as important as the size of my pride. A humble heart can forgive even the worst wrongs, but pride will blow small offenses out of proportion. I think that kind of reflects what's going on here, because Paul wasn't asking them to have the the same correct opinion. He was asking them to have the humility to put their differences aside in order to not distract themselves and each other and others in the church from Christ. And so it's, it's good to take a minute, I think, to talk about what it means to agree in the Lord, or a better way to put it, I think, is what's the difference between agreeing in the Lord and then just agreeing? I think one key difference is that agreeing in the Lord doesn't mean holding the same opinion as the other person. And I think we can know this because there were times when Paul permitted people in the church to have different opinions than one another, even about important things. I think uh, 1 Corinthians 8, where Paul writes about the issue of food that's been sacrificed to idols. So some people in the church thought that uh, it was wrong to eat any food that had been sacrificed to an idol at one point. And others in the church thought that it was no problem to eat food that had been sacrificed to idols. And when Paul wrote to them, he didn't say that they needed to agree on one option or the other. What he said was it was more a matter of conscience and told everyone to just be careful that they didn't make others stumble by what they did because of their view on the subject. So they didn't need to agree, but they did need to agree in the Lord. I think another thing that could help us understand what it means to agree in the Lord is to think about what it means to stand firm in the Lord, uh, like he says in verse 1. I would say that to stand firm in the Lord is to acknowledge that the reality of what God has done for us is greater than the reality of what is happening around us or to us. So oppression may come, but we can stand firm in the eternal safety of salvation in Christ. Or false teaching may come, but we can stand firm in the truth of God's word. Or temptation may come, but we can stand firm in the, the guidance and the sealing of the Holy Spirit. So similarly, I would say that to agree in the Lord means that the reality of what God has done for you is greater than the reality of the, the difference of opinions that you are having with someone else. To agree in the Lord is to have the humility to prioritize Christ over my personal desires and conflicts.
And as I was thinking about this, I thought to just the times over the, the last few years where I've been able to uh, sit in on our church's leadership council meetings. And I've seen, you know, in those meetings, a lot of issues be discussed and a lot of uh, different opinions be expressed. Uh, and certainly the most notable would have been almost exactly three years ago with the COVID shutdown. Uh, as the leadership team had to discuss how our church was going to try to navigate that situation, uh, believe me, there were a lot of different opinions in the room about how to do that. But I was so impressed uh, during that whole um, ordeal, especially because I was like right when I first started uh, going to those meetings, I was so impressed by the unity that was maintained, regardless of the differences that there might have been. And I would say that through that, our team, the leadership team agreed in the Lord on what to do and moved forward in that. And I think that our whole church agreed in the Lord and moved forward in that and maintained our unity uh, through the pandemic, which is reason to give glory to God because a lot of churches, that wasn't the case. They weren't able to maintain their unity in that. Um, Ironically, I think it's sometimes easier to have, to maintain unity, to agree in the Lord on bigger issues than smaller ones. Like, as I've gone to those meetings, I've gotten angrier, like when we're talking about what time our service should start during our summer schedule than I ever did talking about any COVID stuff. And I don't know exactly why that is. It might just be a me thing, but like, um, I think part of it might be when we're talking about those bigger issues, most of us in the church just have an awareness that um, our unity could be in danger with those really big things that are in your face. And so we are, are aware of that and put energy into maintaining that unity. And that came up, you know, during the COVID discussion so many times, the idea of unity, uh, that we needed to keep that a priority. But I think with the, the smaller things, sometimes the unity doesn't seem to be in as much danger. And so, at least for me, I can put more energy into uh, promoting my opinion rather than maintaining unity, uh, which isn't a good thing to do. But it, again, I think this is an issue of pride and humility. So whether the issue is big or small, in order to have the mind of Christ together and to agree in the Lord with my brothers and sisters, I have to humbly shift my focus away from my own desires and to Christ. Paul continues to talk about what uh, this process will look like as he goes into verse 3. In verse 3 he says, Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. So at the beginning, he, he refers to um, uh, true companion. He says, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. And we don't know who this companion is. Some think it might have been um, Epaphroditus, who seems to have been the carrier of this letter from Paul to the Philippians, and he's mentioned a couple times in the letter. And I think that's a fairly likely option, but, you know, we can't know for sure, and it's really not important what the identity is. Uh, the point of what Paul says here is that uh, some sort of intervention is going to be helpful as these two women seek to come to an agreement in the Lord. I think this could 
No intervention could be helpful for a couple of reasons. Uh, One, it can give kind of an unbiased third party to help in the discussion, but also I think it probably provided some accountability for the women to actually come to an agreement in the Lord because this this true companion was probably going to be reporting back to Paul about what happened with this disagreement. And so that was a little reminder in uh, the minds of Yodi and Syntyche as they're discussing that Paul's going to hear about whether or not we actually did what he asked us to do. And as, as he mentions the, the women again, he says, um, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. And so these women had done ministry work along with Paul, and Paul seems to have respect for them. From the way Paul talks about them, it seems like they were probably well known in the community and um, respected by the, the Philippian church. In Acts 16, we read that when Paul first came to Philippi on a missionary journey, the first people that heard and responded to his message were uh, a group of women. Uh, Most notably, uh, Lydia came out of that group. And so it's possible that these women, Iodia and Syntyche, were some of the first people in Philippi to hear Paul's message, to put faith in Christ, and to begin Uh, building up the church body in the area. Um, We don't know this for sure, but either way, these women did seem to hold some kind of uh, prestige in that community. And so I think that's a good reminder for those of us who are involved in ministry work or have some sort of ministry training or just have been Christians for a long time, that no matter how uh, experienced or mature we are, we still need to be taught by others. Uh, we still need help from others. We still need to set our own desires and opinions aside and humbly submit to others out of reverence for Christ. But then he also mentions, mentions in this verse some other people who have worked with him in ministry. He says, um, these women have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. And so, again, with these people, we don't know who Clement or the other workers are. And I'm uncertain exactly why Paul brings them up here. But I think one possible reason is that Paul is associating uh, Iodia and Syntyche with these, these Clement and the other workers sort of as, sort of as a way to build uh, the two women up in the eyes of the readers. Because I think Paul um, really does respect these women that he's worked with. And I think he's trying to avoid uh, tearing them down or discouraging them, even though he has to correct them on this point. And so by associating them with these other respected ministry workers, I think Paul is showing that uh, even though they're imperfect, that they have this area they need to work in, uh, they're still uh, worthy of respect in the eyes of the Philippian church. And he says that all of these fellow workers, uh, the two women, Clement, the others, uh, their names are written in the book of life. I think Paul includes this last part about the book of life sort of as a way to take a step back and just remember the, the big picture. The most important thing isn't what Iodia and Syntyche were arguing about. The most important thing isn't the, the identities of these uh, fellow workers and what they had done. The most important thing was 
God and what he has done, which is represented by writing the names of all those he has saved in the book of life. As I read this verse, I was thinking about the fellow workers, the unnamed fellow workers, and how I would feel if I was one of them. Because as I read this, or more likely as I, like, I heard the letter read, I would be kind of getting excited, like when I heard, who have labored side by side with me, with Clement, and, you know, dot, dot, dot. And I'd be like, expecting and Jeremiah, who did an awesome job when I was there at Philippi, like expecting the shout, shout out like Clement got. But then he doesn't name anybody else. He just says, and the rest of my fellow workers. And I was thinking, man, if that was me, I'd probably kind of be bummed right then. I would want that shout out from Paul. But I think, I don't know if this was Paul's intention by including the, the part about the book of life, but Either way, it's a good reminder that having your name written in the book of life is a much greater honor than having your name written in one of Paul's letters. Recognition from God is of much greater value than recognition from men. And I think we have proof of that in this verse because Paul specifically mentioned Clement by name. And so Clement, his name is, you know, forever recorded in the living word of God. What an honor, right? Except nobody knows who the heck Clement was. <laughs> like, we don't know anything about him. And so it probably felt good to Clement at the time, but not very long later, we don't know who Clement was or what he did. And so that, that recognition from the man Paul didn't really get him very far. And you know, Iodia and Syntyche are, are uh, referred to by name in this letter, but that's just because they were being called out for being prideful. And so it was probably actually in the unnamed fellow workers' best interest that they didn't make it in the letter. Either they would be called out for something good and be forgotten or called out for something bad and look stupid. But I think this is a good reminder just that the recognition that we tend to crave from other people likely won't accomplish what we hope that it will. But knowing that our names are written in God's book of life is all the recognition that we could ever need. This is the, the end of our text this morning, but I do have a bonus point. This is a bonus because it comes from verse 4, which isn't part of my text, and so I'm not going to talk about it. We have to wait until next week for that. But I do think it's worth noting that after Paul gives the instruction to stand firm in the Lord and to agree in the Lord, he tells the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord. Because standing firm in the Lord and agreeing in the Lord are not easy things to do. It's hard work to hold on to the truth of the gospel when all of life's circumstances seem to be trying to knock us down and tear us away from our faith. It's hard work to be humble and to choose to put our differences with someone aside and look to Christ together, especially when we know for a fact that we're right and they're wrong. The Christian life is hard work, but it's not only hard work. The good news of the gospel and the relationship we have with our Father is refreshing and renewing. In the midst of our struggles and toils, we can't forget to rejoice in the Lord. So we've been instructed to stand firm in the Lord, agree in the Lord, and rejoice in the Lord. 
Each of these things is in the Lord because they're only possible for us because of Christ. If we experience oppression and persecution, if there are false teachers and uh, enemies of the cross, we can stand firm in the Lord because Christ is supreme over these things. If we have disagreements, strong differences of opinion, conflicts with other Christians, we can agree in the Lord because Christ humbly served us, and so we can humbly serve one another. If we're in the best time of our life or the worst time of our life or anywhere in between, we can rejoice in the Lord because Christ loves us and he died for us, and one day soon he'll return for us. And we take communion regularly to remind ourselves of these truths. Because when, when circumstances or people come against me, I'm so quick to despair and fall down, forgetting the strength of Christ. When I disagree with someone, I tightly hold on to my own pride and let myself become angry and bitter, forgetting the humility of Christ. When life is good, I tend to worship the blessing rather than the one who gave the blessing. When life is bad, I tend to turn away from God because I feel like he's turned away from me, and I'm forgetting the, hum uh, the steadfast love of Christ. And so we take communion because we forget. This morning, we'll take communion together to remind ourselves and each other of what Christ has done and to praise him for it. <clears throat> because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became a man and lived a perfect life. And he was killed on a cross, not because of anything wrong he had done, but because of the things that we had done wrong. We deserved to be punished and to be separated from God because of the ways we have sinned against God. But Jesus loved us and so took that punishment for us. He died in our place. And he rose again on the third day, showing his supremacy and his victory over sin and death. He ascended to the right hand of the Father where he is now and one day he'll return, give us new resurrected bodies like his, and we'll be with him forever. And communion reminds us of all these things. The practice of communion is for Christians, those who have repented and put their faith in Christ and his death and resurrection. So if you have not put your trust in Jesus, we ask that you would uh, respect this tradition and not take part in it, but instead watch and listen and consider the meaning of it. For those of you who have put your faith in Christ, it's important that you uh, examine yourself before taking communion. If you have been living in unrepentant sin, for instance, you shouldn't take communion this morning. Or if you hold bitterness toward someone or in conflict with someone else in the church, like we talked about this morning, uh, you shouldn't take communion until you resolve in your heart to agree in the Lord with that person.
This isn't to say that you have to be perfect to take communion. The whole point is that we're not perfect, and so Jesus died for us. But, but this is why we need to be uh, cautious and reverent when we approach the communion elements. We need to acknowledge that our forgiveness came at a great cost, and so we don't take it lightly. And so right now we're going to take a little bit of time for each of us to quietly examine our, our own hearts. Um, ask the Lord to reveal what's in your heart to you, what sins you might be unaware of, um, what conflicts you may have that you need to resolve, and uh, judge whether or not it would be appropriate for you to take communion this morning. So let's take a moment right now just to be quiet, uh, to examine our hearts and speak with the Lord.